Welcome back to season two of the Ivy League Prep Academy podcast, equipping you to successfully pursue the college of your dreams. We believe everyone deserves to reach their full potential and the admissions process shouldn't hold you back. Based on how well they use those those workers, right? Like how, how productive your company is, how successful your company is, depends on how you use your army of workers. If you have 60,000 employees, how do you use them? Because that is by far the biggest expense to your company, but it's also your biggest opportunity. If you can use your 60,000 employees effectively, then you can increase your profits. Uh, and so the success of the CEO, the success of the business itself depends on how wise the leader is, how wise the CEO is in using that army of people that they have available to them. That's what it's going to come down to. Now, today, even a 13, 14 year old, even a young teenager has an army of workers available to use for free. But the question is still the same. Everyone has that army of workers. Your success, your ability to produce and be productive depends on how well you use that army, right? How effective are you with that army of workers? So let's talk about chess for a second. Because here's a really, really interesting case study. We have had humans and machines playing chess for decades. And so we've seen a bit of an evolution. In the late 1990s, in 1997, IBM created a computer called Deep Blue. And the number one chess player in the world was Garry Kasparov. And IBM created a computer that played chess against Garry Kasparov. And for the first time, in 1997, the, the strongest chess player, the strongest human chess player in the world was no longer enough to outcompute a relatively weak computer, Deep Blue. All right. And it wasn't too long after that, a few years later, right? Gary Kasparov said, look, the free chess app on your mobile phone is stronger than me. Uh, and that was not an exaggeration. It's absolutely correct. Okay, your the computing power in your smartphone on a free app is substantially stronger than the best human chess players in the world. It's again, we're talking about orders of magnitude. Okay, these chess apps, even back in 1997, Deep Blue could process about two million chess moves at a time. And humans, I mean, nowhere near that, right? And so that's kind of a scary thing. Anything that you know how to do, anything that's like a thing that can be done, a knowable thing, machines eventually will do it better. Machines will play chess better than you, but there's a really important catch. Because just one year later, a variation was created. In 1998, an advanced chess tournament was held. And in the advanced chess tournament, human machine teams were allowed to play. And these are very popular today, but at the time this was brand new, okay? A human together with a machine, together with a computer was allowed to play 
chess. And guess who won? Not Hydra, the strongest computer at the time. It was much stronger than Deep Blue from a year earlier, right? At this point, human creativity is what determined the winners. Amateurs, the, am, the, the, the winner of this tournament and winners of subsequent uh, advanced chess tournaments are generally amateurs who have strong computer skills. Amateurs were now able to crush the grand master chess players. They even crushed Hydra, okay? They crushed the, uh, the strongest computer as well. And that is fascinating, okay? So here's this situation in chess. In chess, there are two elements. There are tactics and there are strategies. The tactics were nullified by a computer. The computer, whether the computer can process 2 million moves or 2.5 million moves uh, or 10 million moves, it doesn't matter, right? The 2 million moves is enough and a small amount of computing power can process that many moves. And so the advantage of tactics was nullified by the computers, by the machines. And the same sort of thing happens today with AI. Um, in chess, in chess, at that actual tournament, uh, the, the reason why amateur chess players were able to crush Hydra and the grandmasters was because those tactics were nullified. So let's talk about that for just a second. In chess, uh, tactics and strategy are different. Um, tactics are these short combinations of moves that players use to gain an immediate advantage over their opponent. Okay, I had to look that up in a chess man. Okay, so tactics are these immediate these immediate moves. And when you play the right tactic, when you play the right move, that's a tactical decision. But strategies are the bigger picture. Okay, strategy is how do I manage lots of little tactics over a long period of time to win the war? And strategies have to evolve as your opponent plays out their strategy. And that's the big difference, right? The, the computer is not thinking about a strategy. And even if the computer is thinking about a strategy, it has to reset that strategy. And it's basically just focusing on tactics. Which of the tactics, which move right now is the strongest move right now? That's how a computer plays chess. But chess is 99% tactics. Knowing these patterns and choosing the strongest play right now, having 2 million choices and choosing the strongest of those 2 million is going to win against great strategy without strong tactics. All right. But once the tactics are nullified, once we have computers on both sides, then that 1% is what's going to play, make the difference. Computers have flawless tactics, whether they're, you know, no matter how strong they are. And so here's where that one piece of, of chess actually helps us understand life and why AI can be and should be a tool for success and not anything that you should be afraid of. Okay. Even if machines are going to figure out how to do stuff differently and better than you, they can figure out these tactics and process them way better, way faster than you. 
success in life is different from success in chess because success in life has a lot more to do with that 1% than the 99%. Ryan Hogarth, he is awesome. <laughs> Professor, researcher, uh, Ryan figured, Robin, excuse me, Robin figured out the difference. And he said there are different learning environments. The way that we learn new things and the way machines learn new things, there are different learning environments. There's kind learning environments that are different from wicked learning environments. All right, so what is the distinction? Kind learning environments are things like, like chess. They're golf, violin. Okay, each of these things are kind learning environments. What does that mean? Well, each of these things have patterns that repeat over and over and over again. And feedback within these domains is accurate. Okay, if you hit the ball, golf ball with your golf club, the way that you hit that is going to give you feedback because you can see where the ball goes immediately. And you can say, let me hit another ball and let me see if I can adjust it just a tiny amount. And you hit another ball and you can see where that ball goes. And there's immediate and accurate and relevant feedback, right? The feedback is also relevant. If you're playing the violin and your finger doesn't have the right bend to it, and so the angle that you're holding down the string is not correct, it's going to give a scratchy sound, right? And you get that feedback immediately. So you adjust the way that your fingers are holding onto the, the string, pressing the string down. If you're holding the bow in the wrong way and the bow doesn't, doesn't allow you to stay in what's called the road on the violin, if it's not al allowing you to stay between the bridge and, the, and um, the neck of the violin, then you're gonna get this weird scratchy sound and there's immediate feedback, right? And so when you play the violin, there's all these different ways that you get accurate and relevant and immediate feedback and you can begin to play differently and performance can be corrected. This feedback allows you to go back and do it again, right? And so you hit the golf ball again and again and again, and you try to improve based on the feedback that you're getting. A kind learning environment means that if you do this over and over and over again, and you focus and you're reflective and you try to, to succeed, you need to try, right? then you're going to get better. And this is where the 10,000 hours rule comes from. If, if some of you have listened to my podcast about deliberate practice, okay, the idea of deliberate practice, which was actually the foundation for, for Malcolm Gladwell's book that talked about the 10,000 hours, right? The tipping point. Uh, Malcolm Gladwell is, is the person who made 10,000 hours famous, but that came from deliberate practice. And that is the argument for early specialization. Let's get our children playing violin at two and three years old. Let's get them. I mean, there's, there's literally a story about a Hungarian family. I think you might know this story. It's crazy. Look it up. It's true. But here's this man who decided before he was married that he was going to run a social experiment. And he was going to prove that anyone could learn anything. And anyone could be, become the best in the world at anything as long as they started early and they specialized. And so he dated with this mindset. He told his future spouse, look, 
on their very first date, he told her, I want to have a lot, a lot of kids and I want to train them to become the best in the world at something. And they hadn't even decided yet that it would be chess, but eventually they figured out. And eventually she agreed to marry him and do this experiment together. Like literally. And so at the early on in life, they began playing chess. And by four years old, he was taking his daughter to adult chess tournaments and she was undefeated, defeating all these adults. Uh, and she had begun at a very early age to play, play chess. And her two sisters became better than her. So each member of this family started very, very early, specialized and became the best, I mean, virtually the best in the world at chess. Um, and, you know, the youngest daughter is the, was the first female grandmaster and all the incredible story, incredible story, true story. Look it up. It's fascinating. Okay. But they, the argument was that if we start specializing early, then we can create expertise and look, we did it in chess. And if you know, Tiger Woods' story, Tiger Woods is famous for carrying around a golf club when he was two years old. And he just he didn't go anywhere without his golf club. He just loved golf from an early age. His dad started him training at a very, very early age. And at a very early age, he was the best golfer in the world. Right? And so we hear these stories and we decide, oh, well, specialization is the key to success. I'd better eliminate everything else from my child's life and make them specialize. And what we are ignoring is the fact that most things in life are not kind environments, okay? Most of what we experience in life actually is a wicked learning environment. And that's a strange way to, to say this. I still think that it's funny that that's the way that, that it's described, but wicked learning environments are, it's not a moral judgment. It's just the fact that there are unclear rules. And in fact, the rules that you think are there are deceptive because patterns either don't exist at all or they appear to exist, but it's not what you think. Feedback is unclear. It's delayed. It's not relevant, right? It's inaccurate. And what happens for most of life is wicked, and lear wicked learning environments. And the, the irony is that in education, I'm not going to spend a lot of time now on this, but in education, we try to take wicked circumstances and create an artificial environment where they become kind. That's one of the big struggles with education. And AI will force educators to change that. Because knowledge is kind. Facts are a kind learning environment. We can we can adjust based on facts and knowledge, but knowledge is becoming totally irrelevant, totally worthless, right? Knowledge is accessible to anyone, anywhere, just the same way that calculating, you know, 125,000 times 644.7 used to be an amazing feat if you could do that, but now it's worthless. Anyone can do that. Just pull out your calculator, type it in. It takes five seconds, right? However, however long it takes you to open up the calculator app, on your phone, you can figure out that calculation. It's worthless to be able to do really, really challenging calculations. That's not valuable. Well, knowledge very, very soon already is not valuable. The ability to try to make connections in a wicked learning environment is priceless. It's really, really valuable. The understanding, just understanding what we're talking about right now, you guys, puts you ahead of almost everyone. 
as far as how we can use AI. Knowing that there are kind learning environments and everyone else is trying to figure out what AI means and, and how scary the world is because AI can figure out any kind learning environment skill quickly. With feedback that is accurate and relevant, AI is gonna learn stuff faster than any of us. But wicked learning environments, AI is terrible at. Absolutely terrible at. Success in this new world of AI will depend on your ability to decide where to direct the computational powers of computers. Let me give you a really quick example. Once we saw that computers were able to solve chess very, very quickly, scientists immediately started trying to use them in cancer research. Let's use, let's use AI to predict cancer. Sounds like a great idea. And it was pulled after it failed so miserably that scientists were worried that, you know, that AI would be exposed as incompetent, that computer funding around AI and cancer research itself would be limited because people saw how miserably it performed. And uh, AI used to, uh, Google used to have a flu predictor. It used to predict weather patterns, did all these things with big data that it had at the time. And it's, I mean, pulled all of these down because they're just, it, these are wicked environments. And we're trying to predict them using AI, which is very, very good at kind learning environments, horrible at wicked learning environments, okay? Still absolutely horrible. So a calculator doesn't make you a great accountant. The internet doesn't make you a millionaire. Gen AI won't make you a millionaire. It won't make you successful. It won't make you a strong learner. It won't make you competitive. What helps is understanding how to use that tool, right? Understanding the limitations of the tool and how to use that tool. And so I actually brought uh, or invited uh, with us today, Pablo Denisov, who is uh, joining us from Nepal, joined us early this morning at like five in the morning to, to be here for this call. And Pablo, if you could turn on your camera, there he is, uh, awesome. And um, Pablo, I, I have some questions for you um, that I think would be really exciting for people to, uh, to just hear your perspective. Pablo has written a book about AI and how teenagers can use AI to improve their learning, to improve their problem solving, to improve kind of this, this element of a wicked, in a wicked learning environment world, how do we eliminate the tactical needs, the computational needs that we would have to make judgments and make decisions? Um, and so, Pablo, welcome. Uh, if you can unmute yourself and just quickly introduce yourself uh, or say hello, and then I've got a few questions. And anyone here on Facebook Live or in Zoom that wants to ask some questions as well, feel free to type those in. We've got a few questions for Pablo and uh, we'll take your questions as well before I wrap up with my advice uh, that kind of comes from today's masterclass. So Pablo, welcome, and uh, just share a little bit about you and, your, and your, uh, your book, would you? Okay, thank you so much, Steve. Uh, yeah, hello everyone, um, my name is Pablo, and for the past couple of months, I've been doing uh, research on AI. I've actually written my own book, and now I'm using this same knowledge to help uh, businesses around my area here in Kathmandu, Nepal. And yeah. Yeah, so Pablo is a high school student and, uh, and already um, helping businesses be more successful by using AI. He's been 
been doing that locally. And then he's, he wrote a book about how other teens can think about their advantage, right? Like teenagers have this advantage in that we're not, you're not intimidated by the, um, not intimidated by the AI. You're not intimidated by the opportunities that you have. Uh, and so with that advantage, of course, you can, you can do some cool things. And so, um, tell us a little bit about, uh, at least for you, Pablo, how do you see, uh, the opportunities for AI or, or, or how do you see, how should teenagers be approaching this? Yeah. So first thing there's, there's many like aspects of AI, right? So like, and what's interesting about AI is that it kind of applies to almost every part of our lives. So when you break it down that way, right, for example, if, if you're a high school student, you can, you know, for in, in terms of like your schoolwork, academic, you can, you can use a, like use AI as a learning tool, right. To like get a deeper understanding of topics, because even you have, you have these tools like ChatGPT, Google Bard, Microsoft Bing, and you can always use them as a, just as another thing that you'd use a search engine as. So you just, you know, tell me more about uh, what happened in 1950s or something, or tell me more about this event. And you use, you can use AI this way, right? Uh, another thing is, I think it's very important for high school students to see AI as something that they use to promote learning rather than cheating. And the difference is, of course, you use one to better your understanding of a topic and the other one to, for example, write the entire English essay for you. And I think that's yeah, we, the main difference. Yeah. We do still need to think about, you know, what is what does cheating look like in every high school? Be respectful of your own high schools and, and everything else, because uh, your high school may have a different opinion about what cheating is. Um, but what we want to make sure is that uh, you understand that the thinking, your brain development, some things you, you have to learn to write, not because writing is going to be critical for your success in the future, but because writing rewires your brain. Right? It helps you to think more logically and, and develop that brain. That has to be, as a student, you have to realize like actually what is important and what is not important on this journey. As educators are figuring that out, you might be the one who figures it out first. And so thank you, Pablo, for, for bringing that up as well. That's really good. I think as AI develops in the coming years, I think it's important to, again, uh, differentiate what you should probably do, right? And also the way that you use AI. So ethical um, aspect of AI. So make sure, you know, because a lot of the times, even if you use ChatGPT today, it might give you wrong answer, answers or misleading or even biased. So if you're just able to like double check it, maybe uh, with just your simple like Google search or you use another tool to just cross reference, right? To make sure the information you're receiving is accurate. Because I think if you give this power to AI of like um, deciding what information gets put in front of us, then that might lead to some problems or conflicts unless we double check this information. Yeah, we had, we had some uh, discussions, Lorraine and I, the, the head of AI, the, um, Renee, excuse me, Renee and I, about the ethical considerations and the fact that, you know what, like 
ChatGPT is is pulling all the information that has existed up until a couple of years ago. And when all that information was created through a mindset that was a little bit less evolved than where we're hoping to go, right? We're hoping just like pre-gender equality, and we're still not gender equal, of course. But, you know, here we are not, not fully where we want to get to, but all of the material that we produced when we were further away from our goal, right? We're hopefully moving towards this goal of being more empathetic and more kind and more uh, more equitable, right? Like we took a mindset that was older and that's the data that ChatGPT has to scrub from, has to pull from. And so it could very easily reinforce mindsets that are uh, not only older mindsets, but mindsets that we we rightly should be moving away from. Right. It's uh, and, and it could re-entrench mindsets that otherwise might be easier to leave behind because it's all there and it's so easy to access that information. That was that was one of the conversations we had. Music for this episode came from We Are Here by Declare P. I'm Steve Gardner. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and share with a friend. Thanks for listening.